You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and I'm here today with the one and only, the man with the plan, the host with the most, Abby. Manish. Mad Money Manish. There you go. And always the names. I love it. How are you doing this <laughs> evening, man? I'm good. I'm good. You know what? This is um, this is an episode that I have really been thinking about forever. I probably mentioned it like seven times on the podcast that we would do this episode. And it is in, it is titled Overcoming Bias and Making Good Investment Decisions. And basically, this has to um, do with the fact that I spend a lot of time online, you know, reading about cannabis um, and, and, you know, trying to absorb all the news. And, and I always look at sort of forums and comment sections, especially on, you know, Reddit. And I just try to get a feel of, of what people are saying, right? Right. And unfortunately, most of what I see is um, often people reacting to information in ways that I think leads to them making poor investment decisions. I thought you were going to go completely different way with this analogy. I thought you were going to say, instead of blaming everybody else, at least I read so much yeah. that I get information paralysis, and because of that, I fall back on my biases. No, you, that's, that's interesting, but no, that's that's not what I, where I'm going. Where you I'm, could have given me, yeah, I no, would have where, not where, thought that. No, what I'm, okay, so what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is the fact that, um, you know, we all, all of us, right, um, as, as just, you know, humans, you know, we have, we come into everything we do with certain ingrained biases. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is a debate I actually have with my brother all the time. And, and um, my perspective is that there is no person who does not have their own bias. Absolutely. Right? Um, and then beyond that, I think it's impossible for people to separate their biases uh, from their decision making, or v- at least very, very difficult, because uh, bias can mean a lot of different things, right? But it can, uh, and actually, I wrote down here sort of how I how I'm defining bias in the context of investment, which is that bias is basically a process. Uh, sorry, it, it's a it's a way of thinking which prevents you from making logical investment decisions. Okay, so. That's what we're trying to mitigate or account for or get rid of. And that's our our goal is to make better investment decisions. Right. Okay. So just to run you through the agenda, basically what we're going to talk about today is, you know, what is the bias? And we're going to keep that pretty short. But then we're actually going to go through some examples of areas in which I see people discuss, which I feel there is bias. Um and it leads to sort of irrational discussion or irrational decision making and how to solve that. You know, what are solutions that we can sort of use to think about and keep in mind so that, you know, with the ultimate end goal being we want to make better investment decisions. Right. Right. So just to start, um, when I talk about bias or when we talk about bias, you know, it's important to just say, look, look, bias is human. It's ingrained. It's completely natural. Right. So part of what we're doing is we're trying to, you know, 
do something which is which is a little unnatural, right? So we're trying to see things from different perspectives. We're trying to strip out um, sort of how our brain works without us even realizing it. it it's really bias is part of our sub uh, our uh, subconscious mind. Okay, and one of the reasons that I you know as I, as I said, I believe that people um, always come with a bias is that bias is not necessarily a bad thing, right? It it could just be how you were taught to think when you are growing up or when you are learning something, right? Right. So, for example, right, um, you know, if we just think about our backgrounds, right, um, I have a commercial real estate background. Mm -hmm. So when I learned really the fundamentals of investment and how to invest in things, I learned from the context and the lens of commercial real estate. Right. And I also learned a lot um, from, you know, my mentors or, or people I worked with who were in the commercial real estate industry. Mm -hmm. So that is sort of the lens that I, I look through and that's the hat that I wear without even realizing it sometimes. Right. Right. So we are trained in commercial real estate to think about deals as being, you know, an income deal and, you know, based on, you know, an, a multiplier on earnings or to be a value add deal or development deal, which you know, doesn't have necessarily income today, but could have income in the future, right? Right. So we are trained to think about things in certain ways. And I think that's why today I'm probably more of, you know, a fundamental investor mm -hmm. in the cannabis space. Um, most people don't really talk about fundamentals, right? Well, but, I mean, up until now, we didn't really have fundamentals, right? Because, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and, sure. uh, I think now we're seeing quality companies come out where you can actually go and use these multipliers. They actually have revenue. They have right. EBITDA. Some of them are even starting to become profitable now. Yeah. So you can now start using these multipliers, sure. right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, great point, right? So, so your, you know, for example, Abby, you came from the fixed income world. Yeah, which is the exact opposite of the small cap, uh, <laughs> small cap world. So yeah, for for a lot of people who don't understand, small cap is usually um, regarded as high risk speculative stocks. The wild, wild west. The wild, wild west. Yeah. Whereas fixed income is the exact opposite. It's essentially you calculate the amount of income you're going to earn, very similar to uh, your commercial real estate background. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that we looked at a lot was what we called uh, either like it's essentially a yield, a distribution yield, a coupon yield. Interest rate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A, a rate that you get. And so you would use that number. Mm -hmm. And from there, you would compare it to other yields. Yep. And that would be like your relative benchmark. Yep. yep. Right. For On sure. top of that, you also looked at ratings and whatnot. Then you also looked at, you know, where the interest rate was and uh, or sorry, where, where what the Fed's rates were mm -hmm. and what the uh, Fed rate for the company for the country that you're looking at or yep. company you're looking at. So, you know, very similar to it. It is more fundamental based, but there was that yield component sure. to it. And you always look for quality. And, you know, one thing that might not necessarily uh, pan out in the cannabis space per se is in fixed income. The higher the quality, the lower the yield. Sure. The lower the quality, the higher the yield. In the sure. cannabis space, you can get a good quality company at cheap. Right, and we're seeing more yeah. and more opportunities like that sort of present themselves. Yeah, but just to, so to expand on what you just said about yield and quality, is that if you uh, were to lend money to a cannabis company, that would definitely apply, right? Of course, so if of you course. Were, as a lender, yes. Yeah. So, and and you see that with um, IIPR, who's a who's the you know cannabis real estate REIT, the biggest one. Um, you know, when they they have a range of about eleven to fifteen percent in their sale leasebacks, which is kind of a form of financing. Yeah. Um, you know, truly being the best, they get an 11% rate, right? Whereas a lot of other companies get sort of 13, 14, 15, right? right? So that kind of bleeds into what you're saying about um, the 
risk return profile, right? The the quality versus yield profile, right? Absolutely. So why I just bring this up though is because when you when you got into what you do now, which is really funding small cap companies all the time, mm-hmm. you probably had a lot of relearning to do and unlearning to do in order to be able to do that. Yeah, it was more, I mean, I wouldn't say unlearning. Okay. I, I, I've taken a lot of what I've learned and sort of mm-hmm. applied it here. Sure. Uh, similar to yourself. Well, and you, you never learned we, anything in the first place. So you, never so had very a, easy. you never had a chance. It's very easy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I don't even know what I'm talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, if you have a blank slate, you don't have to wipe it clean. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> But no, so, it's about, so when we first met, I always said this to you that I always thought your your uh, your your perspective was very unique. Right. At that point, at that time, it was like I've always looked at everything from one perspective. Everyone sure. that I've always uh, talked to has always looked at it from one perspective, and here you come looking at it from a completely different perspective. Yeah. Not to say one's right or wrong; it's right. just one's different than the other. Sure. Except mine right. was obviously right. I mean, hey, listen, if anybody's actually following your picks, they're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, but but no, so I, but, but I think, I think um, going back to <laughs> me using what I learned in my, uh, in my previous life to compare to, co- compare to now, I mean, it, it still heavily applies because mm-hmm. as the continues, as the industry continues to mature, you start seeing these these numbers sort of uh, manifest a little bit better. Right. Um, and now, so, now we're looking actually reading financials more than than you well, know, they actually exist now. Right? Yeah, the beginning before it was it was just a business, like totally. you said it right. It was just showing me to tell me story. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's we're, like, we're reading right. business plans. Right. Tell me to show me tell me to show me story. And so, uh, and but what I had to learn how to do here was, uh, and I, we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, is when you're looking at these decks, how to really filter through them mm-hmm. and find out what's fluff and what's substance, right? Yeah, boiling um, them down to those core elements. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so that was the biggest challenge for myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So, so you know, just to sort of acknowledge that, I think the first step to combating bias is to acknowledge your bias, is to sort of take a step back and say, okay, well, how did I, you know, wh- like what... What's my experience with you know um, financial markets? What's my experience with investing? What's my experience with stocks? What's my experience with uh, cannabis companies? Right. Right. Because um, you know I started investing in 2017, and you know I, I put money into Canopy and Freya in 2017 at very attractive prices. Did very little research, and they took off like a rocket. Right. right. And those were. Um, you know, my only two cannabis picks at that time, right? So so that obviously informs how you think about it. So I had to sort of earlier this year kind of, uh, sorry, in 2019 when, when um, things were getting rough, I really had to take a step back and sort of deconstruct, well, why am I investing in certain companies, right? Am I still wearing that same hat that I was wearing in 2017? And is that why I've, I've picked certain names, right? Because right. just because I had success back then doesn't mean I'm going to have it today investing the same way. Well, it was a growth market, right? It was, I mean, it still is a growth market, but if you look right at- Right place, right time, my friend. Stocks, <laughs> they all went up. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Right. So, so, I mean, that's a big theme that we're going to have this year, which is that people need to up their game. And if you did not learn anything from 2019, you're going to have a hard time making any money in 2020. Right. Okay. So let's talk about a couple of, I've got here basically four examples of bias, um, which are sort of general uh, or sort of, or, you know, they, they can be general or specific, but um, I'm going to talk some about some specific examples of, of what I see people uh, talking about online that always kind of irks me or irritates me. Um, so the first one is political, and this is something that I think has just gotten way worse over the last couple of years. 
But in general, I think I, politics have gotten worse over the couple, last couple of years. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I, I mean, I think the prevalence of social media has made it that everybody feels they have to have an opinion on something. They feel they have to have that opinion immediately, right? And they have to, like, that's what Twitter is. Yeah. Twitter is all about... You have to defend that opinion regardless. Well, you get sucked into it, right? right. So I, yeah. feel like, I, I feel like people have draw these political lines around themselves. When we come to investment, guys, it doesn't matter. I don't care. You know, it's not about are you on Team Blue or Team Red. I'm on Team Green. I want to make money. Okay? I don't care about conservative or liberal. I care about making good investment decisions. Right. So what I see people do is um, they will say, well, you know, if I'll give you an example is, is you know, the example we'll use here is the Ontario government. Right. Mm-hmm. So the Ontario government is, is uh, headed by Doug Ford, who's conservative. And so. There's a lot of people who just hate Doug Ford and, you know, rightly so. I'm not here to defend him. But what happens is that clouds people's judgment. And then they say anything that he does basically is now bad. Right. right. So they it they can't think logically anymore about the decisions he makes with regards to anything um, because immediately anything he does is bad. So what you saw is you see a lot of investors, um, you know, when their portfolio tanks and uh, one of the big issues is Ontario and how bad the rollout's been. People are going and saying this is all Doug Ford's fault, right? Now, why is that bad for investors? Because you, if that's what you're telling yourself, you're learning the wrong lesson. If you're thinking to yourself, oh, if it had just been a different government, I would have succeeded, um, that is completely the wrong lesson. Well, yeah, and, and just to add to that, I mean, <clears throat> if that is what you're telling yourself, Doug Ford was actually very for privatizing. Absolutely, right? so, absolutely, and that's yeah. and that's it. And and uh, again, like it's this is not um, the point of this is we're not political activists, right? We're no, here this is not investors. a political podcast. Yeah, exactly. An like podcast. You know, I have one agenda <laughs> to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so, but you have to look at things through a you know, rational lens and not let, like, I, I put political first because it's the one right. that seems to, it, it can hijack well, it's a, people's it's a brains. a quick cop-out. Yeah, that's true. But right. it, can, it can hijack people's brains. And especially since cannabis investors seem to skew younger, I think younger people with, you know, the way social media works today are very susceptible to this. They're, they're very susceptible to being anti-XYZ politician, right? Mm-hmm. So... The thing to remember and, you know, look at just just objectively is that back when there was a a provincial election, the liberals were the ones, the provincial ones. So the federal liberals legalized cannabis and then the provincial liberals were opposed to it. So they wanted to roll it out as slowly and as controlled as possible. And they actually ran ads against Doug Ford saying Doug Ford wants to privatize cannabis and wants to sell (laughs) cannabis chocolate bars to children (laughs) in convenience stores. Right. So as soon as he came in, he said, no, 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 we're not doing a, you know, a provincial LCBO type model. We're not going to do only government stores. We're going to do no government stores. We're going to do only private stores. And that was a huge win for cannabis. Yeah. So that's the truth of the matter. Now, the flip side is they completely screwed up with their limited 25 license system and the lottery system. That was a huge uh, mistake. Right. But ultimately, now that they have, they're switching to the open uh, license system, this will in the long term be much better for all of the cannabis operators 
um, than the previous regime would have been. Mm -hmm. And that's what we, you know, that's just the reality of the situation. So I wrote here, stop being a political activist, be an investor. And secondly, on that point is that I don't hear nearly as many people complaining about the fact that Quebec has completely gone off the rails with regards to cannabis. Quebec is almost the same size as Ontario. It's like 12 million versus 14 million. And Quebec is raising the age from 19 to 21. Um, they only have provincial stores. And to top it off, they are banning vapes. So Quebec will be a way worse market than Ontario. Right. And I don't hear everybody saying in the comment section, wow, screw the government of Quebec. Right? So... Again, that just shows people's biases, and unfortunately, people are learning the wrong lessons. Right. So similarly, I have to say that, you know, that's just one example of where I see it. But be careful when you look at, you know, the various states and whatnot, because um, the states is such a, mis a mishmash of different political groups pulling in different directions, right? right? So I don't care, Democrat or Republican. I don't care if it's Obama or Trump. I care about what is the policy and how will that, is that sensible legislation? Will that impact um, positively on, you know, what I'm looking to do, which is invest in cannabis? For sure. And before we go on to the second point, I don't see this on your, uh, on the agenda here, but confirmation bias, is that on here? Yeah. So I think that that kind of fits nicely into the next sort of even the next few points, but why, why don't you? Well, because I wanted to touch base bias. on the confirmation bias mm -hmm. for for those who don't know what confirmation bias is. You're essentially finding research that confirms your bias that you have, yeah. the thesis that you have originally. Sure. You're neglecting everything else, and you're saying, "Hey, this article, this article, this article agrees with me." Yep. And I feel that that happens a lot in politics. One hundred percent. Right, and to the point where even there's like broadcasting stations that are a little bit more liberal, that are a little bit more conservative. I mean, clearly, you know, there's, there's clearly right wing and left wing. Right. At news outlets, and they they actually survive, and they're incentivized. Yeah. To to stoke people's anger and fear and whatnot and give them a tilted perspective to keep them kind of coming back for more. For sure, for sure. And so I think with that, especially when, when you're, let's just go back to your example of Ontario blaming the uh, Premier Doug Ford right now. I think that people go and they search up all these articles and mm -hmm. they find something written by some other, someone else mm -hmm. who's not a political activist or who's whatever, just an investor lost some money. The Motley Fool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a public, that's actually like a, a website too. Yeah. I know. That, that is, <laughs> oh, that's, what that's where a lot to. of marijuana <laughs> articles come from. Oh, it's... Like a lot of not not great quality articles, but they they pump out articles all the time. All the time. Yeah. Oh, well, so yeah. So I mean, like, look, they'll go and they'll go and and they'll read these the, these articles that mm -hmm. point to the government, and then that sort of get, confirms the biases that they have. And further to your totally. point, you're not really learning the point you should have learned, which was exactly. maybe that was a terrible investment. Maybe you should you have you should have stress tested your investment to be more conservative. Or I mean, look, listen. It could have it could have just been a bad investment. Yeah, hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. And so I think with that, you you also kind of roll nicely into confirmation biases. So when you are out there doing your research, mm -hmm. don't just look for articles that are for your thesis. Yes, right. Great. Find point. articles that are against your thesis as Great well point. and cut them up. If they're if they if you think they're BS, cut them up. Great point. But you know there could be one or two hidden gems. But yeah. Well, well, so so sorry. Uh, you, that's a, that's a great point, and I think confirmation bias is actually you know the next three points that I have are all confirmation bias. But I, I think you hit it on the head. That's a great point. And part of the online problem is that we have echo chambers now. So 
the online sites, whether it's social media or even like, you know, the Reddit weed stocks forum, it's designed as an echo chamber because what happens is you have a group of people who are, have a group think going on. They're all thinking in the same way. And, um, and, and we'll get into this a little later, but basically the problem becomes that, you know, once things get parroted, so a couple of people start saying it, everybody starts saying it, and they start to sort of try to silence any different opinion. A good investor does not go around shouting down people who don't agree with them. The best investors I know, they come to you and they say, look, I think this is a good idea. What am I missing? What right. are the risks? Shoot some holes in this for me, which is why I always say you need to build a good network of investors around you because you have to go to them and say, look, this is what I think. Explain to me what I'm missing. Right. And you have to be able to take in information, good and bad, and then make a rational, logical decision. Right. Right. And you might still choose to invest, but at least invest with your eyes open and know what the risks are, because then you know what to look for going forward. Yeah. Right. Okay. Great point, Abby. So um, these are all really examples of confirmation bias. So the first one is uh, price history. And basically what this refers to is the fact that um, people buy in at a certain price and then, you know, the price tanks, which is basically the story of 2019. And then people are kind of stuck because they're down 30, 40, 50%. They don't want to sell because then they're sort of admitting a mistake and they're looking at the chart saying, hey, it hit, you know, uh, let's say Canopy as an example. Canopy has traded at, you know, up to $70 Canadian a share and now it's down to like 28, right? So it's a huge drop off, right? But if you bought it at, you know, 60, maybe you look at the chart and you go, well, yeah, it's it's down to half, but at one point it was 70, maybe it can get back to 50 or 60 and then I'll sell. So this creates a bias in your mind because you really want it to get back there and you, you kind of can fool yourself into believing it can get back there. You know what? And I'm going to give you one more thing that this can, that, that example can fool. You know, let's say 78 was the price that you, that canopy was at and you bought it at 60, mm-hmm. right? 78 is not the roof. It's 70, by the way. Or sorry, 70 is not the roof. Yeah. When it goes to 70, there's also people like, oh man, we're at the all time highs. I should sell out. Sure. The information has changed when it gets to that point. The, the valuation changed. has changed. Yeah. The market has changed. You need to reevaluate your position. Everything. This is yes. a good investor has sell discipline and buy, dis- buy discipline and sell discipline, mm-hmm. right? And so let's say you did your th- – if you just blindly bought that, 70 was the high, you bought it at 60, it's at 30, all of a sudden it goes back up to 60. Now you're no longer like, oh, my God, should I sell? You're Now you're kind of thinking, okay, well, it was at 70. Yeah. And let's just say it goes to 70. Let's keep riding this wave. Yeah. let's go. It goes to 70. You sell it because that was the high. The stock can continue to go up. The story can resonate sure. very well, right? And so I think that's another bias that a lot of people – I don't know if the term is bias, but I think that that's another uh, thought that a lot of people have. They look at a stock chart and they look at 52-week highs and lows and they say, oh, well, the high was this. So That's when the it band. Gets, that's, yeah, That's the band. sort of the band, yeah. Exactly. So when it gets to the upper end of the band, they're like, oh, I, I should sell, which not that's not a good way to invest. Sure. It's a terrible way to invest. You should kind of look at why it went up there yep. and then see if they're, if either A, the sales are making sense, right? right. If, Does the story make sense? Yeah. How are the numbers? Is there a new management team put in place? Yeah. What, what are and sort of on your way up, you kind of have to keep asking yourself, well, is this getting too frothy? Is this getting ahead of where the company actually is? Yeah. What are the risks baked into this? And then on the way down, you kind of have to look at look at this and say, well, 
is the market being too pessimistic? Or, you know, what what are people assuming? Has the fundamental story changed? Right. right? And this is what happened to me with true uh, with TrueLeave and the short report. Right. When the short report came out, I knew the company well enough and I knew the numbers well enough that it didn't take me very long to figure out that most of it was BS, right? And that the only thing to be concerned about was something that I was already aware of, right? right? So that w- is what allowed me to move quickly and and catch sort of that stock at, at maybe not the very lowest point, but at an attractive point right. and bounce back pretty quickly, right? So, you know, to your point, if I was just looking at a, a chart, um, you know, I, I probably would have waited because it would, you know, I would have said, no, it can go lower, right? right? So great point. Um, what the only looking at price history does is that it can make relative valuation look attractive. So this is something we talked about in our very first episode, which yeah. is that you look, you know, when, when the market is hot, um, people will, you know, look at canopy growth and it's worth $20 billion. And then they look at a company like, you know, pick a name, like let's say Aurora and Aurora is only worth $5 billion for just, you know, picking numbers. And they go, well, you know what? They're actually pretty similar companies. I'm going to buy Aurora because it can go four times. Right. So, again, just looking at price is not investing. No, right? it's, it's not. It's pure speculating. And that's the, the problem with that. Right. And then what happens is when your price goes down on Aurora, right, you keep averaging down on your cost, which which can be an effective strategy. I actually like that strategy. To yeah, be well, honest no, it can be an effective strategy. But all I'm saying is now you're now you, the thing is because you bought it right at that all time high or whatever that number as it yeah. goes down. Now you're biased. So you're like, no, I have to keep averaging down on it. Well, so I hear here, just to play devil's advocate here, I do agree with you on that, you know, you are you have a bias when you're averaging down. Mm-hmm. However, though, if nothing's changed of the company, for example, you're truly right? Nothing's changed. Yep. You knew all the risks associated with it. You knew the main like salient point in that short report you yep. were fully aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, when you read the rest, you're like, ah, this is this is not meaningful. this is misleading. Yeah, yeah it doesn't, this, ma- doesn't this make doesn't make sense. Not, yep. Yeah, it's not rel- relative information. Um, I'm gonna continue to, to average down, right? Mm-hmm. And you you did have the bias. You were already doing it, but you were well informed to know that hey, the stock is going down because there's a lot of noise out there. This is an arbitrage that's been created, and I can yeah. quick make make a quick buck. Yeah, and and good point. I'm not saying that uh, averaging down is bad. I average right. down all the time. Right. Um, what I'm saying is that. When you own something, it creates this bias where the price goes down. You're like, oh, I'll just average down. But right. you have to, like to your point, you have to constantly be asking yourself, wait, has something changed? Right. Has the game changed? And this kind of goes into my next point, which is that you need to evaluate investment in absolute merits, right? Not just relative merits. So you have to keep asking yourself, and this is the problem with, with most people at the beginning. They don't do that proper due diligence. So they don't, you know, like you said, they're in, a, in this echo chamber. They're, they're only seeking confirmation bias. They never find out what the real risks are. They don't right. have that honest, tough conversation with other people or themselves. So then when those when those things start getting playing, start getting played out, um, you know, they're averaging down. But the problem is, you know, the, the price can be falling for a more fundamental reason. Right. right. So that's that's what I'm getting at is that the the problem with the bias is not that you average down. The problem is you sometimes ignore the fundamental factors which are causing it to fall. Mm-hmm. But you feel like, look, I'm already in for, you know, a dollar. I have to keep averaging down to average my cost down. Right. Right. Actually, each purchase that you're making is an independent purchase. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm, there's nothing wrong with averaging down. All I'm saying is when you put that dollar in, that's an independent investment. 
and you have to make sure that that dollar going in makes sense. Yeah. And so that goes into the next point, which is ownership optimism. And I am hugely guilty of this, which is once you get sold on the investment, you get sold on the story, you get sold on all the good emotion, um, you get this like optimistic bias, like these rose-colored glasses um, and anything good you're like, oh my God, look at this. And it really kind of gets you motivated. And anything bad, you kind of have a tendency to uh, maybe push to the side and eh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not so bad, you know? So I'll give you an example is that, um, you know, I'm heavily invested in Florida, right? Through TrueLeave, um, as well as a smaller company, Liberty Health Sciences. And if Florida was to go fully recreational, then those companies would, you know, predictably perform really well, right? Because it would get, they would... Uh, the market a, share would grow, or yeah, that's so the market that they the market sell to explode, yeah, right? Exactly. Explode. So uh, there was a ballot initiative um, to get on the on the 2020 ballot for Florida to go full rec, and then just recently, um, it it's starting to look like that might not go through because they're suing the government for more time, right? right. So um, as a having that optimism makes me go, oh man, like. It, you know, suing is fine. It, you know, they have a good chance of figuring this out, right? But I think you kind of ha- almost have to take a step back and, and really, you know, take a quiet moment to think about, like, well, is this a good development or bad development? No, it's a bad development. And you should probably go in thinking the worst. Think, Go in thinking, like, you know what? That's not going to happen. And if it does happen, that's like a pleasant surprise, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I certainly wouldn't buy anything thinking that's going to happen now, right? That's an example of... But it's easy to just sort of delude yourself into being like, no, 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 we still got a good shot, right? So the reason why I think and what makes this this type of bias, this ownership optimism even worse is the echo chamber of online info, right? And you'll see this a lot on Reddit, for example, is that um, anything that's sort of promotional about the company, even if it's just fluff or marketing, if it's a company that's well-liked, like one I really noticed is Afria, that, that will sort of go to the front. Everyone really loves that company, so it'll jump to the front. Mm-hmm. Anything negative about that company, even if it's legitimate, will sort of get buried. Right. And that, unfortunately, is is just the way that Reddit happens to work. Well, that's how a lot of people happen to work, right? Like, yeah. everyone talks about their wins. Nobody talks about their Great losses. Great point. Yeah. Right. Excellent point. Excellent point. Um, so what you're seeing is in the comments, you're seeing people sort of pump up the company, but they pump it up for generalities, right? Oh my God, this is going to be a huge market. This is going to be so good. Like I see, for example, the, you know, Florida key, for example, when Florida was going, talking about going recreational, there was a possibility. Some people said, well, who's this good for? And people would say, well, it's good for these five companies, right? But I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Like three of those companies you just mentioned have very small presences in Florida. Mm -hmm. So it could be good for them, but you know, would you go out and buy that company based on, you know, on just Florida? Probably not. It's not It's not enough to move the needle for that company. So that's where I think people can get sort of sucked in is that um, seeing people talk about it in that way. And, and often people online are very confident or, or they, you know, only present one side of the argument, right? And um, unfortunately, that gives people a very skewed perspective. And a lot of people just, that's the amount of due diligence they do. Other people are just talking about it, so they take that as being fact. And that's a problem. Yeah. And then, obvi- and then just dismissing, obviously, negative news. Like, you know, I've seen articles where a CEO is departing suddenly. And people are just like, what's the big deal? He's leaving two weeks before earnings. He wants to spend time with his family. <laughs> And like, all right, like the first time I get it, guys, but we've seen like five of these now. Every we, time. There was one that happened today. 
what happened today? Uh, Supreme Cannabis. Oh, now yeah. Now Diwali left. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's a very sudden <laughs> uh, departure. Yeah. And like, I'm sorry, just let everyone know we're recording Tuesday, January 7th. Yeah, good good, 2019. Uh, good thing to 2020. 2020. 2020. Yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go, yeah. 2020. Living in the past. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, great point. I mean, yeah. that's a terrible sign. By the way, that's like the third CEO in like two years. But the performance of that company has been kind of downhill for last uh, Agreed, but what I'm saying is like... <clears throat> um, that is a very bad sign when you lose your CEO overnight. But he just wanted to go home and spend time with his family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but, you know, like, again, if you are an investor in Supreme, you have to take a step back and say, like, what do I think is going to happen next? Right? Yeah. It's bad news. Oh, it's terrible. And and part of why it matters to make all these decisions are that, you know, by by taking a step back and making a hard decision, I was able to sell like a lot of my, you know, lower half or lower quality portfolio, I took a loss. I took like 35 to 50% losses on almost every name. But you know what? I got a tax credit. And then I flipped that into my high quality names because they had also got, you know, brought down. Right. So I was able to make a lot of my money back. Plus I got the tax credit. Right. right. So you need to be able to make these, um, you need to be able to make these objective uh, well, you know, well-informed but logical investment decisions, right? And not be blinded um, by these by these biases. And again, it's completely normal to be blinded by them. That's human nature. So we're talking about doing something which is abnormal, trying to make a logical decision in an, in an often noisy and emotional process. Right. Okay. So last part is um, headline bias, and basically what this has to do with is the fact that. A lot of sort of retail investors um, don't really uh, read past the headlines. And unfortunately, same thing online, a lot of those commenters don't read past the headlines. Right. So a headline comes out and, I mean, sometimes a, a company headlines, will, headlines can be very misleading. <laughs> insanely misleading. And I mean, again, a company's job, their, their legal responsibility is to do what's in the best interest of the company. Okay? So even if something bad happens... They're always going to find a way to spin it positively. You know what I mean? They're always going to find a way. So, for example, when, when uh, you know, Nav was let go or whatever today from Supreme, they they emphasized the interim CEO coming in. Oh, this guy is, uh, you know, I think the headline was uh, uh, leadership transition as Supreme becomes a, you know, world-leading CPG company. Right. And that's a very nice way of saying we just fired our CEO and or, you know, our CEO quit. I don't yeah. know who knows which one it is. But, no. Um, you know, you have to dig in and understand the info and understand the nuances, which is hard. It's complicated. It, it's mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it, it's work. It's real work. But that's how real money is made. Yeah. You know, by doing the work. Um, and so, for example, one thing you almost never hear about, funny enough, is um, the taxation rules in the U.S. So the biggest problem that we're going to have in the U.S., and, I don't, and it's going to be for a while, is 280E taxation. And basically the... the what that means is that instead of being taxed on your bottom line, like every other company in the world is, cannabis companies are taxed on the gross profit line. So most companies um, have about a 50% gross profit if they're doing well. So if they make $100 million of revenue, they have $50 million of gross profit, and then they have a bunch of expenses, and then they're you know maybe breaking even, maybe losing money, maybe making a little bit of money, right? Right. So if you break even, you pay zero tax normally, right? These guys pay tax on the gross profit. 
So if they make 100 million, then they have gross profit of 50, and then they have net income of zero, they still pay tax on the 50 million. That is insane. That is like the biggest drag I've ever seen on an entire sector that nobody else has to deal with because cannabis is federally illegal in the U.S. And for how much of an impact it is and how much of a drain on the system it is, you almost never hear people talk about it. You hear people talk about taxes in general, but the uh, 280E tax is the most... um, negative thing I would say right now in U.S. cannabis. And nobody talks about it because there's no benefit to people talking about it. Right. Right. So you have to go in and find that information for yourself. It's certainly not hidden, um, but you don't see headlines about it either necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Just because something's not hidden doesn't mean it's very easily, you know, available. Yeah. But again, it, it requires effort and it requires you know, people to read beyond the headlines, to right. read into the data. Exactly. Right. So, um, you know, that's almost a, a episode in itself about news and fake news and, and learning how to read into the data for yourself. But I can't emphasize how important this is. Right. And um, be careful who you get your information from. Like when you see people who are really aggressive online, who, you know, often uh, I've seen, a, you know, when somebody kind of challenges them or asks them a question, they get very aggressive and defensive. These are not really the people you want to be getting your information from. You Absolutely. Want, who, who's, you know, being paid for promotion? That's um, the biggest one. That, that's a, that's a that huge one. Yeah, that th- yeah that, me a lot. That's a huge one. But I guess my flip side to that is, is look, I don't mind uh, somebody's being paid as long as it's disclosed. Exactly. You know, their job is to bring me information. My job is to evaluate it sort of... Uh, as honestly and uh, oh, sorry, as critically as I can, right, and ma- and try to make a informed decision, right. Um, but it goes to your point: don't just seek out that one data point that tells you everything good, mm-hmm. right. Go try to hear the negatives too. Go try to find out why people aren't investing in the business or or the industry or whatever, right. And try to use that in your decision making process, right. So that's it, guys. That is overcoming bias and making good investment decisions. Um, I hope people have taken something from that. I hope that has, um, you know, helped people take a step back and sort of think critically about how they process information and, and how they make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, going forward for, for 2020, it's so important to be making good, rational, logical decisions if for you sure. want to make money. For sure. And you're never going to be completely unbiased, which is almost impossible. Well, actually, it is impossible. But, you know, you want to make sure you understand both sides of the argument and sort of kind of find it somewhere in between, find the truth somewhere in between. Exactly. That, that's, a, that's a great point. I mean, if there's one thing you, you, you take away from this, it's, it's always be trying to figure out what the flip side of the story is, right. right? And, you know, even if you were, for example, meeting with a company you were going to invest in, you would ask them, look, like, you know, what people who passed on this investment, why did they pass on it? Right. What was their, you know, what was their um, reason for saying no, right? Just so you can understand the risks. I think that's very prudent. Right. Okay, great. Uh, Well, there it is, guys. Love to hear your thoughts. Um, What are some things you see maybe in this industry, promotionally, online, whatever, um, that either you're not sure of or you have issues with? We'd love to hear it. CINpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time. Thanks for listening, guys. New year, new money. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. 
and examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decision, an investor should seek individualized advice from from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.